We are on chapter 20 of the third canto, conversations between Maitreya and Vidura, but a lot of this now is about Lord Brahma and his, um, we might say, his wayward creations, <laughs> right? Or Because um, we understand that ultimately um, everything emanates from Krishna. Aham sarvasya pavava, he Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita in chapter 10. So that means even the bad things of this world ultimately come from him or, you know, um, but he creates them through his, we'll talk about this, through his external energy. And they're there, be, um, one way to look at it is that they're there because we are given uh, minute independence. Um, <clears throat> we're given icha or choice. And the whole Bhagavad Gita in one sense is based on choice. Um, Arjuna in the first chapter, he and and especially well actually especially in the second chapter, he chooses to surrender to Krishna. Karpanya dosoha pahatasa bhava, pichtrami tam dharma samujiteta yeshayam shanishi tam bruhitemme. Then he says, Sisya, Sisya means disciple. Sisyas teham, I am your aham, your disciple, Sisyas teham. Sadhi mantvam parpanam, and I surrender unto you. So he chooses to do that. He doesn't have to. He chooses to do that. Then after Krishna explains the whole Bhagavad Gita and all the other 16 more chapters, and, and he says, if you, if you do this, so many good things will happen. If you don't do this, so many bad. And then he says, it's up to you. <laughs> so this idea of choice is... is uh, is an inherent part of the soul to have free will. Um, and so due to our, when we choose not to serve Krishna, then there's so many varieties of ways not to serve Krishna. And so some of those, what we hear is some of the creations and the reactions of the creations that are, that in one sense are created because they are living entities who will choose not to serve Krishna. Is that all right? Okay. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So Lord Brahma said in the verse that we, um, well, what we hear in the verse that we covered last week, which was um, verse 18, said, first of all, well, not last week, but last time we met. <laughs> yeah. First of all, Brahma created from his shadow the coverings of ignorance of the conditioned soul. So again, conditioned souls, and they choose to, so they get covered by ignorance. They are five in number and are called Tamishra, Andha Tamishra, Tamas, Mohan, and Maha Moha. And uh, yes, <laughs> okay, and then in that purport, we, which we went over last week, Prabhupada describes those. And out of disgust, the next verse, verse 19, Brahma threw off the body of ignorance and taking this opportunity, Yakshas and Rakshashas sprang from, for possession of the body, 
which continued to exist in the form of night. Night is a source of hunger and thirst. And we're going to hear later on that when it says how Lord Brahma threw off his body, it didn't mean literally his, you know, his subtle body, right? Not his gross body, but um, his, his, uh, his thoughts, yes. So then, uh, so then we hear, overpowered by hunger and thirst, they ran to devour Brahma from all sides and cried, spare him not, eat him up. <laughs> so again, this is the subtle body. And Prabhupada talks about, um, he mentions the word love feast in the purport. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the reality is there are still some um, cannibalistic people in the world. At least that's what, I, that's what Wikipedia told me yesterday. <laughs> when I checked it out, there are, there are few and far between, luckily. <clears throat> Brahma, the head of the demigods, and this is one of the verses we want, I wanted to read, uh, full of anxiety, asked them, do not eat me, but protect me. You are born from me and have become my sons. Therefore, you are yakshas and rakshashas. And the purport Prabhupada writes, the two yakshas and rakshashas are the original creation of Brahma and are representative even until today in the uncivilized men who are scattered all over the universe. So the reason I, I wanted to highlight this was it, it shows um, like the opposite of gratitude, right? So he's basically Lord Brahma, look, I, I created you, I'm your, you know, I'm your father. I, I, or, or in modern day times, you know, when a child Parents take care of them so nicely, especially, let's say, in the 60s, right? This was such a common theme, right? That uh, parent, that especially kids from somewhat well-to-do families, their parents took care of them, they, they uh, groomed them, sent them to good schools, and then uh, 1967, the summer of love, and they took off for San Francisco or, or you know, a little later Woodstock or whatever, and, you know, and the parents felt forsaken, right? That we, you know, after, all of you, after everything I've done for you, you go off and become a hippie, a hippie or whatever, right? And you know, what kind of gratitude is that, right? And um, uh, so, so Brahma is saying, why, you know, why don't, you know, I created you. What, what gives you? Why do you want to mess with me after, after that? So um, this turning against Parents, well-wishers, and then, of course, ultimately, Krishna. Uh, Krishna, Buli Sejiv, Anadhir Bahirmuk, right? We, the, in Bengali, it says that we have, uh, Srila Krishna Kaviraj Goswami writes that we've turned our back on Krishna, Bahirmuk. We turn around uh, and, and ran, you know, ran in the opposite direction of, of Krishna. And so, the rather, a devotee, one of one of our very helpful meditations is to meditate regularly on how we're grateful, uh, mood of gratitude. And you know, we can be grateful for so many things. We can be grateful for the nice weather today, or, or, right, or having nice parents, right, or, or this and that. And ultimately, our gratitude should go to the Supreme, the cause of everything, including ourselves. So these yakshas and rakshashas were doing the opposite of that. They weren't showing gratitude. And therefore, it's very hard. You can't really have much of a spiritual footing without a, a deep sense of gratitude. Jiva, your dhoti's messed up. <laughs> no problem. 
It's the, it's the good part. If the other part, if, if the whole thing fell down, we'd have an issue. <laughs> so some thoughts on gratitude. Yes, Mataji. Uh, the yellow one, is it on? Okay. Hare Krishna. Yeah. Okay. So, um, is your son grat grateful to you and your husband? <laughs> we won't he, let you comment though. He's, he's right learning to express, but I'm sure uh, you <laughs> he's know, trying to express. He gets it. And especially That's a good now point, that though. sometimes, you know, I'll, before you ask your question or make your point, sometimes we are grateful, but we don't express it. And sometimes, you know, when, when a loved one dies uh, or becomes incapacitated, we lament that why didn't we tell them how we felt? We feel we felt it, but we take it, you know, we think they know already. Go ahead. I forgot what was, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Okay. <laughs> you were, yeah, you were talking about gratitude. So I just wanted to comment that, uh, yes, um, we all learn. And as we grow and mature, we learn to express also, mm -hmm. express gratitude. Because sometimes we express gratitude by doing things and really don't understand the importance of how to speak speak it out like you know express verbally mm -hmm. just like whole life parents might be doing a lot for their children and not really speaking you know things to them expressing the love whereas uh, some people are really good at expressing by right. verbally you know voicing how they feel but eventually when when we learn observing other people reading through books and everything uh, we will learn and start doing it but uh, as we now we learn that the blessings of krishna uh, god flows through the vaishnavas mercy of vaishnavas and in reciprocation automatically when we feel it in our heart we, we want to you know express that also and mm -hmm. that's when that gratitude comes out and I mean needless to say I think we have talked about before also there are so many occasions here in temples and we when we observe you know senior people and experienced people how to do that and then we eventually start doing it also very good yes I, I think that's about the practice sadhana also yes uh, it's like that time that uh how, the devotee asked, how can we pay you back, Srila Prabhupada, for what you have given us? And he said, well, the disciple remains always indebted. But he said, but if you want to try to repay me, then preach vigorously just as I am doing. He once said like that. Mahamatra, you need a microphone. Here's one right here. Red one? It's on. It's on. Um, pro Pancho, while he was uh, probably five, five years old uh -huh. or six years old, he told about gratitude. The gratitude is not about yourself, it's about the other person mm. who makes you, who made you feel grateful. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Anything else on gratitude? Oh, well, we have a lot of comments. Andy? Well, just on a practical level, I think if you're depressed and, and you f try to feel gratitude, it's very uh, 
uplifts your mood. Very uplifting. So it's yes. very mood enhancing. So it's very practical. It's a very even good if you don't get all the way to Krishna every time, you can at least yeah. help yourself get out of a hole and then uh, do better. Yes. Yeah. Because we, you know, we're what are we doing? What does the saying go? We're stepping on the flowers and criticizing the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's. Um, not only expressing in words, but also expressing through our actions. Yeah. So if Took the I words right out of my mouth. That's what I was yeah, going to say. That. If I am grateful to Prabhupada for having given this transcendental knowledge, what am I doing for him? Mm -hmm. right. You can say, I'm grateful, and then sit around and do nothing. Right? Sometimes actions speak louder than words. Michael, blue one. Um, I have a question about uh, gratitude. I, I actually uh, was at a different meditation group yesterday. There was a lot of talk about gratitude. And uh, it, it, gratitude, if you look at how it benefits you, then it seems to become something a little bit different than gratitude. Uh -huh, and then it becomes an exercise for your benefit. So you just uh, chastise Andy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I see this is, is very commonly talked about in this way, like the benefits of gratitude, why you should be grateful, why you'll benefit. And it's like, but that's not, that's not, that doesn't have anything to do with gratitude. That has to do with self-improvement. Uh-huh. Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, because you've, probably, you've heard me talk, uh, I've given Sunday Open House talk on mindfulness. And um, mindfulness is basically being in the moment and focusing on the here and now. It's based on, well, I don't know if it's based on it, but Krishna spoke about it 5,000 years ago when he said, na soshati, na kankshati. Don't worry about the, don't lament about the past or worry about the future. Or Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, forget the past that sleeps, nor in the future, dream at all. But be in times that are with thee and fortune ye shall call. So mindfulness is a huge thing. You see mindful eating and mindful yoga and mindful whatever uh, all over the place. There was a really good article in the Washington Post recently about how mindfulness can, just like what you were saying, mindfulness can become very self-focused. And that's the whole idea is not about, that's not, so the article was really well written because it was making a differentiation between really what was proper mindfulness and self-absorbed, I, me, mine, everything's focused on me kind of mindfulness. So yeah, I mean, any, we can mess up anything. We could even mess up gratitude. <laughs> you know, so we can mess up love, we can mess up sex, we can mess up eating, we can mess up everything. We can even mess up mindfulness and gratitude. So yeah, if it's all about, I'm gonna be grateful so I can feel good. Yeah, it's, it's a rather, what it is, is, uh, and I'm combining what Michael and Andy are saying, it's, it's a um, byproduct. What, what Andy's basically saying is it's a byproduct of, of really practicing proper gratitude that you do see the world differently if you're putting on a different focus. But if that's your only reason for, I'm going to be grateful so I can feel better about myself. Yeah, so like anything else, uh, we can mess it up or we can use it properly. Is that all right? Yeah, thank you. Prabhu, and, and you need a kind heart. I mean, if there is kindness there, and so that's where you're prompted, you want to reciprocate in some and how you can do it, and then you speak the gratitude language. Yeah. Not thinking that I want to show gratitude, but it comes out. So then the question is, how do you get a kind heart? 
You know, it just seems, oh, okay, that's nice. But, you know, who's going to win the Redskins game today? You know, <laughs> that's, you know, we, we, we tend to, uh, we, we get quite absorbed in the here and now. And one of the, one of the things that the Shastra does is it, 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 it opens up our narrow vision, right, of what's just between our, you know, and, and, all, and, and it, it puts into perspective all the various distractions of this world and puts them in perspective, first of all, of the fact that we're eternal. You know, I was um, uh, doing a little research project the other day. Uh, I'm writing a bit of a history of ISKCON Resolve, which was something I started in 2002. Um, and I was going through my emails from 2002. And uh, in my emails, I would, I would get every day a little thing from CNN, you know, just the latest, uh, just, um, it's an email form, so it's just a brief, you know. And so you see, you know, President Bush, and, you know, Colin Powell, you know, and all these things uh, that happened, you know, 15 years ago. And, you know, where are they today? Who, you know, who talks about President Bush except that, you know, he's trying to raise some funds for Hurricane Harvey victims, you know, but, you know, but it was such a big thing then, right? And now it's just like nothing, right? Or as Srila Prabhupada used to say that, People are so eager to get the morning newspaper. Now, of course, it's often virtual, but in those days, morning newspaper, and then the next day they use it to wrap fish with, or something like that, you know. So it's here today, gone tomorrow. Today's President Trump, 15 years ago, who will be talking about him? It'll be something else. You know, so the goings and coming, and, and whoever won the football match, you know, that we were so absorbed in five years ago, we probably don't remember it today. But the things that we practice spiritually, they remain in the spiritual bank account and, uh, and they accumulate. So here, you know, hearing how wonderful it is that the Lord reciprocates with us according to our um, attraction to his different forms is, is amazing. Um, and we can see that, you know, just like you see a person who's really, really, think about a person that you know who's really, really expert at dealing with others. And they can adjust their mood, they can adjust their, the way they talk, they can adjust according to who they're talking to. Right? So one day they're talking to a senator and they'll talk one way, then one day they're talking to the, the sweeper in the street, another way, you know, to women, to men, older, younger. Right? They're just really good at adjusting according to the time, place, and circumstance. So if we think of a person that we know who's like that, and think of Krishna, because he can adjust everything according to how he reciprocates with each individual devotee. And he reciprocates with us individually. Like that. So that, that ability to do that, like they used to say that uh, President Clinton was very expert at that. That he just walked in a room and just knew how to, you know. And, um, and we see that you know, some devotees are very... And then you also probably know people who aren't good at that, right? They say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong people, or they just say this, you know, they're just, uh, uh, they have, what do they used to call them, what hit, one hit wonders? You know, they just had one way to talk to people and they say the same thing, whether it's, you know, this person or that person, and sometimes they get them in trouble, <laughs> right? Like that. So here Krishna is showing, here it's saying, showing how Krishna can, adjust and reciprocate according to the desires of the devotee. It's quite an amazing 
ability that Krishna has to do that. And he can sometimes bestow upon us in some small way. Some thoughts on this point? Yes? Red one? The verse about the Mayavadi philosophers was very interesting to me because they claim that God's forms are imaginary and we just imagine and God assumes that form to just appear before us but ultimately is impersonal. But per Brahma Samhita and other scriptures, it clearly says the Lord has numerous forms mm. and just the, the devotee just identifies with one kind of a form that is very appealing to that devotee and then the Supreme Lord reciprocates to that devotee in that form. So, yes. like when that statement came up, it was like very striking to me. I was, I was writing something last night on um, logical fallacies. And one of the logical fallacies is called um, false dilemma. When you're only presenting presented two options when there may be more than two options. So the Mayavadis prevent, present a false dilemma that they say, uh, yeah, um, oh gosh, let me get my, <laughs> let me get it straight now. All right, let me see what I wrote. That would be easier <laughs> than, uh, uh, ch -ch 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 whoops. Give me a second here. Ah, here we go. Um, oh yes, they, they present either on one hand materialism or self-annihilation. That's your choice, right? But that's a false dilemma because there's a third choice, being a devotee and having a loving relationship with, with the Supreme Lord, right? So, so um, it can be if, it's a good example of uh, the false dilemma logic. Yes? To that, um, in your own statement just now, Prabhu, you said uh, the Mayavadis uh, know the Lord ultimate, or know the Supreme ultimately to be without uh, form or just illusion, but uh, the devotee, the difference is the devotee knows uh, that all the forms of the Lord that manifest in the different, to the different desires of the devotees are eternal forms rather than uh, ultimately impersonal. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anything else on this? Yes, Mama. I was just thinking about Go ahead. They didn't, he didn't like you, what you were going to say. Attitude of the Mayavadis in kining, that, you know, uh, how they phrased it is, it's because a devotee desires, you know, some imaginary form and the Lord appears in that form. So, still, there is this order supplying, Krishna is my order supplier. Uh -huh. That the devotee, did, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's not... Krishna's forms are there, and we're attracted to one of them, not that we make up one. And that's what the Bible is speaking against, when, you know, to not worship graven images. I mean, that's one way, of course, that's one way we interpret it, to just make up, you know, 
uh, golden calf or whatever, and then worship that. And we see that sometimes in India that people worship all kinds of um, unauthorized um, forms or forms of demigods. And we know that Krishna says that people who worship demigods are um, alpamedasa, he says in Bhagavad Gita. Little, small intelligence. Yeah. Okay, should we move on? All right. So we are on text 26. Lord Brahma approached the Lord, addressing him thus. My Lord, please protect me from these sinful demons who were created by me under your order. They are infuriated um, by an appetite for sex and have come to attack me. My Lord, you are the only one capable of ending the affliction of the distressed and inflicting agony on those who never resort to your lotus, to your feet. Purport Prabhupada writes, the words kleshadas tesham anasanam padam tava indicate that the Lord has two concerns. The first is to give protection to persons who take shelter of his lotus feet. And the second is to give trouble to those who are always demoniac and who are inimical toward the Lord. Maya's function is to give affliction to the non-devotees. So I picked, I chose this, and we mentioned this a little bit in our little introduction today. So it's not that Krishna, um, you know, hate, loves some people. In, in one sense, he's samoham sarvabhuteshu namedvesho sinapriyaha. He's equal to everyone. He doesn't think, oh, the demoniac's really bad, pious is really good. Um, he's equal to everyone. But, he's, but if someone who becomes a devotee, ye bhajanti tumam bhaktya maite teshu chapyaham. He says the same verse from Bhagavad Gita. He says, but one who, you know, one, but one who takes my devotional service, who approaches me with love, they go in a different category. So he's equal to everyone, but people who have a demoniac mentality um, towards the Lord, um, he said he does not directly, but through his Maya function, that's what it says here, right? Through his function of illusion, they want illusion, so they get illusion. You get what you want. Yanti deva prata devam pratin yanti pratin brataha. Bhutani yanti bhuteja yanti majajimopimam. That, that you know, those who worship the demigods go to the demigods. Those who worship ghosts and spirits go to the place of ghosts and spirits. Those who do this go there. And those who worship me come to me. It's up to the uh, desire of the, of the individual. The one thing that does really tick off the Lord, as we'd say, or really uh, one thing you want to avoid is offending his devotees. That's a different, that's a, another category than even being demoniac because it, it means that you're offending someone that he really loves. And so we know what that, you know, we know what that's like. It's one thing if somebody offends us. It's another thing if they speak badly about our spouse or our, or our child or, or our grandparents or parents or something like that. We feel it much more deeply, generally speaking. So here, so, it's, so I just wanted to clarify that because I think that's important, the last sentence. Maya's function is to give afflictions. So Krishna does it through, he doesn't do it directly. Oh, you know, he, you know, he's directly he's reciprocating with the devotees through his material energy. He's um, dealing with those who don't want to worship him, don't want to have a relationship with him. 
Parichanaya sadhunam vinashaya cha duskritam dharma sangsta pranartaya sambhavam yuge yuge. Krishna says in the Gita. And then Prabhupada comments on this verse because it says, Parichanaya sadhunam, to deliver the saintly, the devotees, vinashaya to duskritam, to take care of the demoniac. But Prabhupada mentions in many places that to take care of the demoniac, he doesn't have to do that directly. He can do that through all kinds of other means. So some thoughts on this? Anything? Yes, Jiva? <laughs> the controller of the microphone doesn't have a microphone. <laughs> Makes us remind, um, we are not the supreme control. No, we're not supreme <laughs> control. <laughs> can't even control the blue microphone. Hare Krishna. So I was focusing when I read this verse, the word infliction is again inflicting um, and you know, annihilating the demons, like you are saying, It's very interesting that through Maya's uh, media, when Krishna is doing it, sometimes people who are, you know, like not surrendering to Krishna's feet, they give this argument. Oh, he always gives trouble to the people who don't surrender, and that's not a just God. Right. And not realizing that it is actually, you know, for devotees, when you're driving this all the time, Traffic lights don't turn green. I think you gave yeah, that example that. long back. So it's just that our senses are, you know, commanded by Krishna, being Rishikesha. So even though we face similar circumstances, He gives us uh, the intelligence and the patience and the determination to respond instead of reacting. Correct. And so we are able to overcome the circumstances in a much more amiable manner while a person who is trying to satisfy their senses is so much, you know, reacting to the circumstances and is never satisfied or happy in their heart, is never at peace. Well I said. Think, yeah, so that, that's, that's so nice to kind of like, you know, just by surrendering to the Supreme, if you can get that peace and satisfaction and happiness, why won't you do that? And why do you take another path which is full of, you know, constant struggle, constant infliction of miseries and so forth? You know, very subtle, subtle way of looking at it, you know. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Andy, you were going to say something? The red one? About uh, Lord Brahma. He goes to Krishna and says, you are the protector of surrender, surrendered souls. Right. Does he do this just to enforce, like, proper roles? Like, I'm going to you because it's your job to do this? Or is it, Brahma is so powerful, but can, can we think of any example where he uses his power to fight or defend, or is he completely pacifistic? <laughs> well, he's he a de- this Brahma is a devotee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, but it is, you're right, it's a great example because, you know, as we've, as we've said many times before, that his intelligence is as great as his life is long, right? So how much more intelligent is he than us, right? And, and what does he do? He takes shelter. And even, um, was it? Nardamuni, who was questioning, you know, because he saw Brahma meditating, and he thought, well, you're the Supreme, you're creating all this stuff, right? but you're meditating on someone, so could you help me with this? That was earlier, or that comes up? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but it's, it's a great, 
and maybe it's one of the reasons Vyasadeva put so much emphasis about Lord Brahma in the Bhagavatam because he's so great, he's so powerful, and yet he many times, even in the tenth canto, he's at a loss, and he takes shelter of of the Lord. So, yeah. It's real. I don't know. You mean your point is, could he just take care of it all himself? Without, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? Well, maybe, you know, it, the point is, it's just like Krishna says in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, verse seven Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu, Mamma He tells Arjuna, Remember me, take shelter of me, and then use your skills. So, so Brahma is taking shelter of Krishna, and then maybe after that he may, I, I, we don't hear so much about exactly the whole story, but then he can use his skills and his abilities, his God-given abilities. But the idea is that uh, it's, very, it's a very significant point in that verse in the Bhagavad Gita that the, um, the uh, process of first starts with Mamanusmara, remember, which means also taking shelter, and then Yudhyachad doing his dharma. And you could say Arjuna is a great warrior. What, is he, what does he need to mamanusmar? Why can't he just take out his arrows and take care of everybody? Because he's, I mean, he's Arjuna, you know, he's the son of right, Indra and, and all that stuff. But um, Krishna tells him, no, first take shelter of me and then use your skills. So Brahma is following that guidance. Isn't that all right? Yeah. And it's good. And obviously, it's a great instruction for us because we have a minor abilities compared to Arjuna or Brahma and still we think we can take care of it on our own you know you know I you know we tell Krishna I got this <laughs> you know right <laughs> you do your job I'll do my job <laughs> like that yes uh, microphone um, is all this, uh, when you said that what is reality is the hurricane that we see and what the demigods and the different gods, they are a virtual reality. You started off by saying that it's what mm -hmm. we see, this is what we see in the actual world. Are all these references that are made in the Bhagavatam to the demigods or to, I mean, is it is it just to say that I mean, it, is it just to give give us a picture to to understand that these exist within us? Like, I mean, when you say the demon and the demon comes with a desire, all his worldly desires, so the demon also exists within us, right? That desire rises from the human heart. Mm -hmm. And so, is it, uh, I mean, so when we realize that the demon exists within us, we, we, we see ourselves as good people innately. That is a conditioning. <laughs> we that gen in generally our mind. do. We look in the mirror and say, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, yeah I'm a pretty <laughs> good guy. We, we can't really accept the fact that sometimes we are not good, we are selfish. Right. To other person, he can see that or he can feel that. Right. So um, when we realize that there is a demon within us, what do we do? Okay, well, you asked a lot of, you mentioned a few things there, so we'll try to cover them one by one. Um, yes, it's like a, I had a friend, he was from um, Bengal, and uh, lived in Vrindavan for many years. I lived in India for 21 years in Vrindavan, and um, he was the mailman for the temple, and he used to, he used to always tell me, he says, Vajabihari, I'm the worst kind of fish, selfish. 
um, <clears throat> so what do we do? Yes, we see, when we read the Bhagavad Gita, or we read the Bhagavatam, and we see in ourselves some of those qualities, both the good and the bad. You know? And it's not good to just focus on the bad, by the way. Sometimes we think humility is just, you know, I'm lower than the worm in stool and all these kind of things, you know. But it's also realistic to say, well, I also have, obviously I'm here at the temple, I have some good, you know, to see the reality of the situation. So um, we want to cleanse our heart. Of, of these things, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said, you know, it's very, very clear in his statements that the way to do that in this age is primarily through chanting of the holy names of the Lord, chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra or other names of the Lord. There's other processes, hearing the scriptures, serving devotees, worshiping deities, etc. I'm making friends with devotees. Um, these all are processes for purifying the heart. And all of them, though, require a certain amount of focus. Because you can, you, know, you can take out your beads and schnick, schnick, giddy, giddy, ray, ray, <laughs> while you're watching the Redskins game, you know, and looking at the hurricane. Oh, well, it didn't hit Miami, but it serves going after Naples, uh, um, you know, Fort Myers or whatever, you know, you know right? And then and, and checking your email and ram, 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 you know, right? Right? You can, you can do that. But, to, but we have to remember that these are not just mechanical processes. They are processes by which to link us with Krishna. So therefore, when we pick up our beads, we can be in, actually, I was just, uh, I'll read you something if I can. I think I can find it pretty quickly. This is from uh, His Holiness Sachinandan Swami. And he says that we can, we can, Pray to Krishna like this, my Lord, I have this problem. I turned away from you and I have become attracted to the shadows of the material energy. I just can't detach myself from Maya and turn to you completely. I want it, I tried it, I suffered for it, but I'm a captured soul, a conditioned soul. Please, my Lord, help me. So. We, we, so we, we, it's good to remember when we're doing these things, coming to the temple, picking up our mala, seeing the deities, that it's all about a connection with a person, the supreme person, but it's all about a relationship. Um, and that, the, just like with the, we were talking with Andy, we don't have much of a spiritual muscle, right? But Krishna has an unlimited spiritual muscle. He created the muscle. So although it's very hard, to, it sometimes feels like trying to clean coal, you know, right? you know, trying to get the black out of coal, right? Which is not possible, right? And it sometimes feels like that. But Krishna can do anything, including cleanse our hearts. So it's about developing a relationship. As for the first part of what you mentioned, um, yes, the, the Shastra gives us a, it's not that Hurricane Irma is an illusion. It's not that you should just you know, fly into Fort Myers and say everything's temporary and this is just an illusion. Hare Krishna, you get thrown into the ocean, right? You know, that's not, uh, these things, you know, uh, hurricanes and mortgages and, and um, getting your car inspected when you get the letter from the government saying you should, those are all real. They, they, they're just, they're temporary. And so we, it's just good to keep them in perspective of the fact that I am an eternal soul, has an eternal relationship with, with the Lord. 
and at least balance our life so that it doesn't just become hurricanes, mortgages, and car payments, right? But it becomes balanced with uh, by ultimate reality. There's uh, in the second chapter of the Gita, Srila Prabhupada taught, uses this word swadharma, right? Uh, dharma, we know what that means, our duty, our, right? Um, and swa means, you know, um, our, our particular dharma. And he talks about it that it had, there's two kinds, conditioned and constitutional. So our constitution is Nitya Krishna Das, Krishna's eternal servant. Our condition is, you know, I'm an IT professional, I'm a banker, a candlestick maker, whatever, and I have this family, and I have this mortgage, and I have this car, and I'm from this country, and I have this H-1B visa, or green card, or citizenship, or whatever, right? And this is, this is, this is real, but it's temporary. A hundred years from now, it doesn't exist. Cars cut them, cars finished, uh, families finished, you know, I mean, at least the bodies finished, right? Uh, and the house, you know, some hurricane came and got that one. Uh, may, it may still exist, but our constitution remains. So it's good to uh, balance. Sometimes we, we artificially go like this and put every, all of our eggs in the uh, basket of, uh, the eggs is a bad example, all of our rupees or dollars in the basket of the eternal um, prematurely. Right, um, so finding the right balance. Is that all right? I answer your two questions. Thank you for them. Anything else? All right, shall we move on? Text, the next verse will, I also highlighted if I recall. The Lord who can distinctly see the minds of others perceived Brahma's distress and said to him, cast off this impure body of yours. Thus commanded by the Lord, Brahma cast off his body. And in the purport, in the beginning it says, the Lord is described by the words, viviktad yatma darshana. If anyone can complete, this is so wonderful. This is quite an empower, a meditation, these next few sentences. So please listen to them with special care. We've been listening with care. Now crank that up a hundred times. If anyone can completely perceive another's distress without doubt, it is the Lord himself. If someone is in distress and wants to get relief from his friend, sometimes it so happens that his friend does not appreciate the volume of distress he is suffering. But for the Lord, Supreme Lord, it is not difficult. The Supreme Lord as Paramatma is seated within the heart of every living entity and he directly perceives the exact causes of distress. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, Sarvasya Chaham Vishtaha. I am seating in everyone, I'm sitting in everyone's heart, and because of me, because uh, uh, of me, one's remembrance and forgetfulness occurs. Thus, whenever one fully surrenders unto the Supreme Lord, one finds that he is seating, sitting within one's heart. He can give us direction how to get out of dangers or how to approach him in devotional service. So, 
that is, again, what we were saying just a few, a few minutes ago, right? That we do these devotional activities, we come to the temple, we chant, or we see the deities, um, but we have to remember the purpose behind it, and that is that of actually developing a relationship with a person, in this case, a supreme person, right? And here, you can imagine if you have your, your friend who fully understands your levels of, your, your happiness and what's causing you happiness, your distress and what's causing you distress. You know, we, we, in, my, in my field of work, um, we spend years practicing empathic listening and learning how to empathize and what it means to empathize and also to avoid compassion fatigue because all day long I deal with people in my job, people coming to me with their problems. Right? That's, that's what I get paid for. <laughs> um, so Krishna doesn't have compassion fatigue. He doesn't have to worry about you know, having to go to a psychiatrist or something or you know, taking a vacation to, uh, well, let's see, he wouldn't go to Florida right now, uh, but someplace, right? Yeah, California. <clears throat> um, or or, or he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have any challenges in empathizing with us. So it's, um, he's our dearest friend. Krishna says, Suridham Sarvabhutanam, Surit. In that, uh, there's different words for friendship in Sanskrit. What is another word besides surit? Sakya, yeah, sakha, yeah, right. And surit gives the uh, understanding in Sanskrit of a very intimate friendship. So he's a surit of all of us, right? And he understands what we're going through. And therefore, he even understands we may, we may think, okay, well, he, you know, he reciprocates with someone like Srila Prabhupada, some great, great devotees. But Krishna also understands and appreciates the struggles and challenges of a, neo a neophyte devotee, a beginner in, in the practice of, of bhakti, and appreciates. So, you know, any, wherever we are on the spectrum, from beginner to great teachers, great acharyas, Krishna reciprocates and understands the struggles that we're so we're not alone. So that's what Krishna is basically, in one sense, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is telling us to trust Him that we're not alone in this universe. You know that 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 ultimate. Sometimes I was just reading an article um, in the New York Times today. Um, there was a, in the Weekend Review there was something about because you know colleges have just started all over the country right in the last few days. And they're talking about the level of loneliness that new college students often find, feel. And they say it's, it's become much worse in the age of social media, where this one professor was talking about how his new students came in the class, and they're all, no one's talking to each other, they're all on their social media and in, you know, in, you know just them and their iPhone, right? Um, and, how, and then they, they even you know, interviewed students and things and how they just, uh, it can be a very lonely experience. And ultimately we may even feel some existential loneliness in this world. But we're never, Krishna is trying to teach us in the Gita that we're never alone. That he's, he's in our hearts and he's understanding who we are. And of course the nice thing about ISKCON and devotional service in general is we're, we're never alone. We can come to a temple every Sunday or every day if we want, and there's always going to be other devotees there, and they're not always on their iPhones. <laughs> Maybe 90%. No, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> so this is so this is amazing purport here, amazing statement here. 
because um, Srila Prabhupada is saying, you know, if someone may understand you to some extent, Krishna can understand us fully. Yes? Your emphasis on faith is very wonderful and it's very wanted, uh, and it defeats the argument of, uh, <clears throat> oh, well, one could say, well, Lord Brahma, very elevated devotee, he could approach Krishna directly. Arjuna, very elevated devotee, he could approach Krishna directly. Uh, but what about me? I'm not so elevated. You're asking me to have faith in the practices of bhakti yoga, seeing mm -hmm. the deity. And, uh, yeah. In one place, Srila Prabhupada states that just as Arjuna um, heard the Bhagavad Gita directly from Krishna, one who reads uh, the Bhagavad Gita translated in its disciplic succession can have that same experience. Um, and he also says that about Bhishma Dev. Bhishma Dev is lying on the bed of arrows, right? And he's directly seeing Krishna as he's leaving this world. And uh, I don't have the exact, I, I'm paraphrasing now, I could find it later. Um, but Srila Prabhupada writes that the same benediction can be had by anyone who serves Krishna in this life. To have that, uh, that, that darshan of the Lord. Yes. Red. For those who are listening on the, because uh, we get a lot of listeners who listen on every week on the recordings, you may hear me say red, yellow, blue, green. <laughs> it's not a football thing or something like that. It's uh, the different microphones have, uh, uh, covers on them that different colors and we, uh, we, we put the volume up when they're speaking. This purport, uh, it answered uh, Andy Prabhu's question because uh, the question was why he has to approach, he himself is Brahma, why he has to approach the Lord, you know, because of the situation. So here he's saying, Prabhupada is explaining that it's a kind of tuning mechanism. Because, tuning? Yeah. yeah. To, because Krishna perceives your distress and he has a solution for it. But by approaching him, we are able to perceive that remedy. Yeah. And so that's what came to my head. We have to tune in, yes. It's just like we gave the example a couple of weeks ago, right? There's radio waves flying all over this room right now, yeah. but we don't hear them. But if you have the right machine, it'll pick up that radio, uh, 103.5, and you can hear the weather and traffic every 10 minutes or whatever, right? <laughs> um, uh, so similarly, um, you know, Krishna's everywhere, and he's in everyone's heart, but it takes that devotion to, that machine of devotion to tune in to that, to that wave. Good. Anything else? Okay. Well, then we'll move on. To, we're going to read a few verses up until 37. So 29. The body given up by Brahma took the form of the evening twilight when the day and night met, meet, a time which kindles passion. The asuras who are passionate by nature, dominated as they are by the elements of rajas, took it for a damsel whose lotus feet resound with the tinkling of anklets, whose eyes were wide with intoxication and whose hips were covered by fine cloth over which shone a girdle. So, you know, different times of the day are good for different things, generally speaking. Of course, any time of the day is good for 
chanting Hare Krishna and spiritual practices. But still, the morning hours are the most beneficial for spiritual practices. Uh, and the evening's a good time to go to sleep and get up early in the morning. <laughs> Her breasts projected upward because of their clinging to each other. And they were too contiguous to uh, admit any intervening space. She had a sharp she had a shapely nose and beautiful teeth. A lovely smile played on her hips, and she cast a sportful glance at the asuras. Adorned with dark tresses, she hid herself, as it were, out of shyness. Upon seeing that girl, the asuras were all infatuated with an appetite for sex. The demons praised her. Oh, what a beauty! What rare self-control! What a budding youth! In the midst of us all, you are passionately longing for her. We who are passionately longing for her, she is moving about like one absolutely free from passion. Indulging in various speculations about the evening twilight, which appeared to them endowed with the form of a young woman, the wicked-minded Asuras treated her with respect and finally, fondly spoke to her as follows. Who are you, O oh pretty girl? Whose wife or daughter are you? And what can be the object of your appearing before us? Why do you tantalize us, unfortunate as we are, with the priceless commodity of your youth. So you want, they want to know whose wife they are because hopefully she's not married, <laughs> right? It, it, it's kind of like um, the, the materialists and um, are kind of like, there's one thing called the lusty boy philosophy. And that's when you see someone who's very, of course, nowadays, Maybe, but anyway, I see someone who's very, uh, uh, someone of the opposite sex, a boy sees a woman of the opposite sex, and, and he says, oh, she must not be married, or must not have a boyfriend, right? Because the idea is, if she doesn't, then I can enjoy with her. So similarly, people look at the world and think, well, if there's no God in control, then I can do it as I like. See? So there's an analogy there. Text 35, whosoever you may be, O oh beautiful girl, we are fortunate in being able to see you. While playing with a ball, you have agitated the minds of all onlookers. O oh beautiful woman, when you strike the bouncing ball against the ground with your hand again and again, your lotus feet do not stay in one place. So this is calling her lotus feet this is interesting. Oppressed by the weight of your full-grown breast, your waist becomes fatigued, and your clear vision grows dull, as it were. Pray braid your comely hair. Text 37. The Asuras, clouded in their understanding, took the evening twilight to be a beautiful woman, showing herself in her alluring form, and they seized her. Prophet writes, Purport, the Asuras are described here as mudhadiya, meaning that they are captivated by ignorance just like the ass. The demons were captivated by the false, glaring beauty of this material form, and thus they embraced her. So it wasn't a real form, but it, it, it um, ignited their, the enjoying spirit in them, the uh, spirit of enjoying separately from God. And, um, and so the next verse says, with a laugh full of deep significance, the worshipful Brahma then evolved by his own loveliness, which seemed to enjoy itself by itself, the hosts of Gandharvas and Apsaras. Prabhupada writes in the purport, the musician, this is a scary purport for those of us who uh, still have an attraction to uh, certain music. The musicians in the upper planetary systems are called Gandharvas, and the dancing girls are called Apsaras. After being 
attacked by the demons and evolving a form of a beautiful woman in the twilight, Brahma next created Gandharvas and Apsaras. Music and dancing employed in sense gratification are to be accepted as demoniac, but the same music and dancing when employed in glorifying the Supreme Lord as Kirtan are transcendental and they bring about a life completely fit for spiritual enjoyment. So when we turn on our computer and we go to YouTube, we have a choice, right? Yeah, for those and most of us in this audience, we can either turn into the latest uh, Bollywood uh, songs, right, or even the old ones, or we can go to uh, some really beautiful kirtans by people like Agni Dev Prabhu and Srila Prabhupada and, and um, you know, so, so many Gauravani Prabhu. And so we have a choice. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a fork in the road. And the kind of music that we choose can also have a great effect on our uh, consciousness. So we could play music like this. That's Agni Dave, right? And I won't play the Bollywood music. <laughs> right? But we have a choice. And here Srila Prabhupada is suggesting to us, because the sound vibration has a great effect. You know, if you listen to this two more, three more minutes, as you leave the temple right now, you go, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Rama. And if you listen to, you know, some um, Hollywood tune or Bollywood tune or the Grateful Dead or whatever, uh, you'll walk out, you know, probably uh, singing those songs, right? Uh, it's just uh, the nature of things. So here, uh, because it's talking about the Gandharvas and the Apsaras and dancing, and Gandharvas are famous for singing, Apsaras for dancing, um, we have a choice of what kind of singing and dancing we want to uh, be attracted to. Any thoughts on this? Yes, Jiva Prabhu. Just as in uh, Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says that this material world is a perverted reflection of spiritual world. I think that sums it up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When I was a kid in the 60s, there was a song, um, um, I forget who sang it, Dancing in the Street. And it goes on to, you know, they'll be dancing, dancing in the street, and it goes on to the different cities that the people will be dancing. And it was a really attractive song. And then when I became a devotee, I was dancing in the streets. <laughs> we would have uh, Harinam Sankirtan. And, <laughs> and so I, we made the, we spiritualized that <laughs> in that way. Anything else on this? But music is very, very powerful, right? We know that every, you know, in every culture. Right? You know, you can learn, practically speaking, you can learn you know, by a few things, how culture, how people eat, right? And, and how, they, how they celebrate, especially through song. You can learn so much about a culture. And if you want to connect with people, you, you know the kind of music that they, they, they listen to, right? right? Um, and it often reflects, just like the music of the 60s in America, at least for a certain part of America, very much reflected a culture, right? If you're going to San Francisco, make sure you wear a flower in your hair and all those kind of things, right? And, uh, and even, you know, Bollywood has changed over the years, right? And it reflects the culture of, of major parts of India, at least north, right? Tollywood in the south, maybe, and things like that, right? But so music very much 
it, it, it moves the emotions. You know, if you study neuroscience, right, and this is neuroscience, not even 101, but like neuroscience one, right? You know, they talk about the reptilian brain, the limbic brain, and the neocortex. And the limbic brain is that part that's, um, that, that's emotional, right? And, it's, and the neocortex is a logical brain, the one that we use the least, <laughs> right? So that's why for many of us, um, we can remember the songs we grew up with or, the, um, or the, the jingles on the advertisements on television. We can remember those 50 years later or 20 years later, and we forget the calculus and the algebra and things like that that we studied, you know, um, at the same time that we were listening to that music because it goes deeply, it goes into the limbic part of the brain. So, it's, so music has a very powerful effect on us. So here, Srila Prabhupada is saying, yes, use that powerful effect. Uh, but, may, but do it by listening to kirtan or bhajans. And there's unlimited kirtans and bhajans on the, uh, you can download, you can fill up 128, I don't know if you can fill up 128 gigs, that would be a lot of music. Uh, but you can fill up a lot uh, with uh, all kinds of kirtans. And we have such nice singers here, right? You can just, I can listen to Shivani and Gauravani forever, or that young Young, young lady who was singing at first in Radhasmi, I forget her name, young lady, really good singer, so uh, there's plenty. And then when you're really ready for it, listening to Prabhupada, when you're in the right mood, it's not that, but he has this, because of his deep devotion, it really comes out. And of course, all of his singing is available for free on the internet. So if you're into podcasts and downloading music, um, directed towards bhajans and kirtans. And then you'll be walking through the streets. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Right? Like that. Instead of because I'm happy, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yes, a microphone? The red one. So, when we listen to this kirtan or uh, any music, and because since music in itself is, so it, your mind sometimes repeats the same song. Is Correct. it is it healthy to have that? I mean, Very let's healthy. say we are assume repeating the kirtan in our mind, and it happens because it has a very profound effect on you emotionally also. Super healthy. Okay. It's 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 perfection, practically speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. So. We have Vinod here. She always listens to Kirtan. <laughs> She's always saying, her and her husband always saying, can you bring so-and-so Kirtan singer to the temple here? You know, why is he in New Jersey and not coming to D.C.? <laughs> All these things. Okay, so we're continuing. Text 39. After that, Brahma gave up that shining and beloved form of moonlight. Vishva, Vasu, and other Gandharvas gladly took possession of it. How are we doing time-wise? The glorious uh, Brahma next evolved from his sloth, the ghosts and fiends, but he closed his eyes when he saw them stand naked with their hair scattered. The ghosts and hobgoblins took possession of the body thrown off in the form of yawning by Brahma, the creator of the living entities. Is that why people go like this when they yawn? 
That's an Indian. They do it in India all the time, right? Right? You ever seen that? You ever seen that? When you yawn and... I don't know, yeah? Okay. <laughs> um, this is also known as a sleep which causes drooling. The hobgoblins and ghosts attack men who are impure, and their attack is spoken of as insanity. Recognizing himself to be full of desire and energy, the worshipful Brahma, the creator of the living entities, evolved from his own invisible form, from his navel, the host of sadhyas and pitas. The pitas, pitas, not pitas, uh, themselves, so that I always get that pronunciation. One is yellow and one is father. How do you pronounce one? The Pita is yellow? Pita. Okay. Pila, okay. Ah. Very good. Right. And father is? Pita. Yeah, That's my, my son gets it right because he knows Hindi. He always calls me Pitta. Except when he's angry at me. No. <laughs> um, okay. In the form of their departed ancestors on the occasion of Shrad. They usually call it Shrad, right? Or Shraddha. In the purport. Unfortunately, by the influence, this is the last paragraph. Unfortunately, by the influence of Maya, the conditioned souls employs the body he gets for sense gratification, forgetting that such an occupation may lead him to return to an invisible body. The devotee of the Lord, or one who is in Krishna consciousness, however, does not need to perform such ritualistic ceremonies as Shraddha, because he is always pleasing the Supreme Lord. Therefore, his fathers and ancestors, who might have been in difficulty, are automatically relieved. The vivid example is Prahlad Maharaj. Prahlad Maharaj requested Lord Nishingadev to deliver his sinful father, who had so many times offended the lotus feet of the Lord. The Lord replied that in a family where a Vaishnava like Prahlad is born, not only his father, but his father's father and their fathers, up to 14 fathers back, are all automatically delivered. The conclusion, therefore, is that Krishna consciousness is the sum total of all good work for the family, for society, and for all living entities. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the author says that a person fully conversant with Krishna consciousness does not perform any rituals because he knows that simply by serving Krishna in full Krishna consciousness, all rituals are automatically performed. So the idea is that, so Shrad is a ritual that is often performed by people of the Hindu faith. And even Lord Chaitanya performed it. He didn't need to, but he did it only to, set, to not upset others. He didn't have faith in that. He had faith in chanting of Hare Krishna. He didn't think it was, it was superfluous, that it wasn't necessary, but still to not create uh, a problem in society, he, he performed the Shrad ceremony. But the idea is that um, it's just like that verse. Sure. How does it begin? Always remember Krishna, never forget. Smartavya satatam vishnu, vismartavya najatuchit, sarva vidhi nisedhasyor etayor eva kinkara. It says, always remember Krishna and never forget Krishna. And all the other do's and don'ts 
are kinkars, they're servants to this principle. Okay, so Krishna consciousness, so the rituals, they are, they, they, you may accept them, not accept them, but they're, ser, they're ser, subservient to pure bhakti. Okay, uh, and then the best way to serve one's family is not just by doing the shraddha ceremony, but by being a devotee. And then for up to 14 generations. Now, I don't know if that means like, you know, if you're like Srila Prabhupada, it's 14 generations, you know, and a Braj Bihari, it's two, you know, you know. I mean, I don't know exactly how it works out, but the idea is that I remember when I read this, it was one of the, because it was the 70s and ISKCON was different then, and I was, you know, just finishing gra uh, undergraduate school and I dropped out of school and became a devotee, and my mother was very upset, super upset. Um, but then I remembered that, well, the best thing is if I become a devotee and, you know, she'll be taken care of spiritually. And the funny thing is that, not the funny thing is, but, you know, many years later, she moves to Brindavan uh, and is associating with devotees all the other time. And then without a bachelor's degree, I get a high position in the government. <laughs> so who can figure out? Because she was, you know, she wanted to be a lawyer and make millions and all that sort of stuff. So now I, you know, teach lawyers. <laughs> so, you know, Krishna arranged things in, in, in an interesting way. <laughs> like that. <clears throat> But the point being here is the power of the, the, the essence and one, and one of the things we always want to do when we're reading Prabhupada's books is, grab, is extracting the essence. The essence is the power of bhakti, the power of devotional service, that it, it, it's, it's more, it, it overwhelms even different rituals. Or rather, the rituals are subservient and should serve the purpose of developing bhakti. Some thoughts? Yes? Hare Krishna, that really increases our inner motivation <clears throat> that we should become pure devotees if we're going to help our family. <clears throat> the only way I can help my family is if I become pure. Yeah. Yeah, so I tell my son, listen, uh, I read him this purport, and then I say, listen, I'm going to just go on cruise control and not work too hard in devotional service, but you become a pure devotee and then just deliver me, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So that should not exactly be the way we preach to our kids, but anyway. <laughs> yes, Mataji. Hare Krishna. Prabhu, so we are, um, we are trying to follow one or several process of devotional service to the best of our ability. Right. Are we devotees or not? Are we devotees? Should we, should we follow? I mean, I'm not talking about all kinds of rituals and all we're, that. We're devotees, but, yeah. Uh, we're, so are we, is it um, okay to understand we did not do the shrads or should we do the shrads? Well, we, we can do so many things. We can do the shrads. But we should not think, oh, I have to do this, okay. or else they're going to... In other words, we, we, may, we do it out of family obligation. We do it to maybe help the person, but our faith is in Krishna. Mm -hmm. Our faith is in Krishna, and Krishna can take care of all, all of these things. So, we, so the point is, um, jnana karma anavritam. It's kind of part of karma, right, or karma kanda activities. And as long as it doesn't anavrita, cover our bhakti, then it's all right. But if we think, oh, I have to do this or else my relatives may go to hell, that's not, that's different than 
um, I'll do this out of a family obligation, and, but my real faith is in Krishna. Krishna will take care of my relatives. If I focus on, on my devotion, Krishna will take care, you know, like that. So, that so, so it's a question of just not covering our faith, covering our bhakti. Is that all right? So typically, the kind of lives most of us live, it is not entirely, yeah. you know, in have service you, at all times, have you, 24 you, by you, 7. So you grew up in India? Yeah. Did you ever see a green mango? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You ever see when they're really, when they're really hard, you know, they're, they're very green? But what will happen to that mango eventually? It will get ripe and or Correct. we'll use it. So we may be on different levels of greenness in our bhakti, but we just keep going and it will turn sweet. But even, you know, as you know, you can still use the green mango in sabjis. Right? Isn't it? Isn't it? Right? Sometimes it's a nice subject. So Krishna can still use us even if we're quite green. But he's waiting for the day when we become really juicy. You know, like Alfonso, Paka, Mumbai mango, Rusty and mango, right? Those are the best. And usually you get them in, I used to get them in Mumbai. I used to take a whole crate on the August Kranti train from Mumbai back to Vrindavan and offer them to the deities in Vrindavan. Example, Prahlad's example and Chaitanya Charita, uh, Lord Chaitanya's example has been brought to discussion or it is referenced for those cases where people, I mean mainly maybe atheists or something because neither do they worship Krishna, uh, they don't have any intentions, nor do they, if they have no uh, direction whether they should do rituals or not. So some kind of path so, is given for yeah, them. Yeah, let them do, do at some least rituals. Yeah, let them do some rituals. But then also give them a Bhagavad Gita and tell them to chant Hare Krishna. Yeah. Okay, thank okay. you. Yes, Prabhu. Prabhu, uh, my clarification is uh, the Shraddhas, that uh, we've been taught that we are individual soul, we are not this body. We're not this body, yes. Yeah, and uh, so soul is an individual entity, it doesn't have anything. So how come this relationships comes like seven generation forward and backward? So if you're an individual entity of a soul, there is no relationship, right? Like we, our eternal relationship, we are so servant of Krishna. So where this come, all this family relationship, Sankhya's, all this comes in place. It's, it's a uh, extra bonus. <laughs> Krishna arranges. Um, it's not that family, our family or our birth is is not is not at all consequential. Um, it is sometimes compared to two pieces of seaweed coming together and then coming apart at, you know, at another point in time. But um, just like in the Mahabharata, right? Uh, Karna, right, was, uh, even though he could show all this great mastery of archery, still he, they thought his birth was, right? Um, so, we, we, you know, we're not we're not born by chance, right? Right? We, we you know I could ask everybody in this room, and uh, did anyone put in an application with Krishna? I really want to be born in. Where were you born? In Bethesda. I really want to be born in Bethesda, and you know, uh, you know, and, and someone else put in. You know, I really want to be born in Maharashtra with you know father who's uh, works for the government and you know you know whatever right we we get it according exactly we get the birth exactly according to our karma 
in our previous lives. And even Prahlad Maharaj, he had some affection for his uh, demoniac father. So you see, right, in, every, in practically every Hindu's home that you go to, right, there's usually some picture of the parents, isn't it? Almost always, even if they're no longer, right? And, uh, it, it, you know, even the Bible says, honor thy mother and father, right? And Shastra says things uh, similarly, although Jesus also said that, you know, you, yeah, forget your, forget your parents, you know. So ultimately, bhakti is the uh, thing. But if we can connect our family to bhakti, that's great, right? And then there's also sayings in the fifth canto, for example, that don't become a father, don't become a mother, don't become a husband, don't become a wife, don't become any, anything where you have dependence unless you can deliver them from the cycle of birth and death. So we want to deliver everyone, why not our family members also? So it's just like, you know, uh, I, I see your point, and your point is, is correct on one level, and then it's also you know, something on a different level. So, but that's, the, but, you know, we have natural affection for family members, right? So let's not make that natural affection material. Let's, uh, let's add the spiritual component to it. So we naturally love our children and help them become uh, devotees. We naturally love our, our descendants, help them become devotees. But you're right, especially for a sannyasi, someone who's renounced this world, their, their family now has just expanded to every living entity. And of course, a devotee tries to do that, tries to give Krishna consciousness to everyone. But they don't, uh, they don't forget that, you know, they, everyone except my family. <laughs> That's not the idea, right? Everyone, including my family. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have one minute. So why don't we not try to force it? Okay, so um, next week there is class. We're back on schedule for the time being. I go to India in um, first week in October. So there won't be classes for one or two weeks. It's a short visit to India. But uh, for now, there is definitely class next week. Okay? Have a wonderful week in Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada.